<laughs> and actually, that makes total sense. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I know me. You know, so that that's our life mission. That's the McKenzie mission. You don't have to understand my boundaries to respect them. No, I'm the president co-founder of McShan, a person of long-term recovery from substance use disorders. How do you go about fixing the damage between in the trust between the family after you get out? <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, okay, I gotta work on that. Like, um, celebrating my six months didn't have a cake. Yeah, yeah. Like them homely girls fuck better than them. <laughs> What's up with that shit? <laughs> Hot mic. Are we good? You sure? I don't hear nothing. So where should I sit? Oh, just we'll pull a chair out right here. We'll sit up here in the peanut gallery. You ready? I wonder where Marshall's at. I can't tax them. This song. I don't need it yet. I'm a, it's going to be a few. All right. All right, listen up. How we doing tonight? Is that it? That all we get? Can y'all hear me back there? All right? Are you sure? Y'all miss Marshall? Y'all know who Marshall is? Maybe if you like make some noise, he might show up tonight. I don't know. I need some noise to have Marshall in the house, man. Yeah, yeah, we miss Marshall. You know, you get old, you get forgetful, you know, you can't keep up with time, right? He's pulling in the parking lot. He'll be down here in a minute. So you get Marshall tonight. I just, since we're live, I may as well say a few words, you know what I mean? I like talking. Y'all like hearing me talk, right? 
Who don't like to hear me talk? Raise your hand. Get the door ready, Pam. I knew you'd like that. So look, we, it's been two, two weeks since we've been here, right? Two weeks. Y'all can do the math, right? Are y'all getting any other good speakers in here in our absence? Nobody. We're it. We're the only one that comes up. Is that what I'm really hearing? Is that really real? Then y'all need to value us. You, you need to really pay attention. You know, good thing we don't take tests when we get done. Some of y'all would fail. But when you get a gift, treat it like a gift. You know what they say about living in today? Yesterday, gone. Tomorrow ain't got here. All you got's today. The present, that's a gift. I know it don't sound like much of a gift. How many of y'all been, like y'all here in, in Riker Jail, you're sitting in a, in a unit where they're actually bringing you educational information about substance use disorders, correct? You're getting some kind of workbook, some kind of counseling, some kind of something, and I believe some of y'all have a schedule you go by. Is that correct? Are y'all aware you got a schedule? I mean, you're actually supposed to, like, get up, do breakfast, do whatever, clean up. Am I correct on all this? Do you realize you're being conditioned for living as a useful, productive member of our community might live should you be outside one day? I live on a schedule every day. How many of y'all got a cell phone? Let me see it. That's what I thought. You in denial. Snooky got your cell phone. You ain't got it. How many of y'all had a cell phone, the same cell phone phone number since the 1980s? No, you don't. You ain't that old. When did you get your cell number? You did not. How old are you? Let me see your ID. Then you like me, because I, I got it in the 80s, the, 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 the late 80s, like 1897. No, no. It was a car mount. They didn't have those till the 90s or the, or the 2000s. Ain't you supposed to get honest while you're here? I can't confusing question, I know. I think the point is this. There comes a point in time in your life where you actually get manageable. Imagine that. Paying the, paying the same bill for decades. You know, the same thing, be doing, the, doing the right stuff. You know, if you had a choice, let me ask you, let's do a quick quiz on choices. You get the choice to eat the food here. You with me? Or you can get hamburgers and hot dogs and baked beans, coleslaw, all you can eat. We do cookouts at least once a month over at McShane. It's all you can eat cookout. Sometimes I'll smoke some briskets. Sometimes we'll do chicken. I mean, I'm, I'm actually a, a Kansas City Barbecue Society certified smoke chef. Yeah, smoke meat, not drugs. I'm good at it, too. I hear I got the best brisket probably anywhere. I'm proud of my brisket. Oh, here we go. I, I told you y'all pay attention. This might happen. Where's my mic at? Is that working? I'm going to put you right in, man. Where you been? Give a hug, man. Love you, John. I love you. We miss you. They were in tears. They started crying. Good evening, everybody. My name is Marshall, and I'm an Hey, Marshall. Man, I miss y'all. Mm. Man, man, I miss y'all. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I appreciate all the good well, get well cards, 
and telephone calls that y'all sent me. <laughs> it was really appreciative. You know what I mean? Man, hey, I got a homework assignment for you. This for next time I'm here. Next time. This is the homework assignment. What do I need to survive? What do I need to survive? Okay? And what do I need to thrive? What do I need to survive and what do I need to thrive once you leave here? Yeah. That goes along with it. But what we're we going to get started with today is uh, I'm just going to give you a little personal journey about me, why I need a program, what has happened to me in the last year, what happened to me a month ago, you know, telling you why I need a program. Uh, last April, last April, I wake up one day and, man, my fingers were numb. My fingers in my hand was numb. And I get up and I decide to go to the doctor. And the doctor tells me, said, we're going to start from square one, run all kind of tests on you to see what's wrong with you. I went to the doctor, man, over three months, I went to the doctor 20 times. 20 times over three months. And you know what? I, I'm so glad that I had a program. I'm so glad that I had a program. And this is what they tell you why we're here. This is why we're here. Make a decision. Get a program. You know what I'm saying? LeBron James is one of the best in the NBA because LeBron James stay ready. He ain't got to get ready on a weekly basis. He stay ready. Get a program and stay ready for whatever comes up in your life. Went to the doctor 20 times. Month or so later, June, my mother got sick. My mother got sick. That's y'all biggest fear why you here, for somebody in your family to get sick. And it ain't nothing you can do about it. You're helpless. You're vulnerable. My mother got sick. I needed a program. I needed some support. I needed some help. Three months later, my mother died. My mother died three months later. Man, I was so grateful that I had a program. I was so grateful that I started giving back to her what she had so freely given to me. I'm in the house because of my mother's death, and John Schenhauser calls me and said, Marsha, I got a project for you. This here. This is the project he was talking about. Immediately, man, I thank God. John didn't know it at the time, but he pulls me out of the depression. Pulls me out of it. Thank God for the program. Thank God I needed a program, man. I mean, this program ain't no BS, man. 
You know, this program saved lives, man. This program heals family. Can you imagine what my wife go through when I'm going through depression? Can you imagine what the dog go through? The kids? Can you imagine what everybody go through? That was in October, buried my mother. At the repast for my mother, I caught COVID. I said, man, God got a little bit of humor with him. Because I prayed to God, God, don't let me catch nothing and pass it to my mother when my mother was sick. That was my worst fear. And it didn't happen. As soon as we buried her, I caught COVID. I said, God got a little humor, you know? So then December hits, man, my knees started acting up. Knees started acting up. I had to go to the doctor. The doctor looked at my knees and said, man, we done gave you a couple of shots. The shots are not working. Next thing we can do, knee replacement. So if you can see it, one knee is still a little bigger than the other. Here, I'm five, I'm five weeks in from a knee replacement. Five weeks in from a knee replacement. All I got to say is, man, modern medicine is a mother. Modern medicine is a mother. You know what I'm saying? Man. Man, and for y'all that don't know it, I'm 70 years old, man. I'm 70 years old, 71 to be exact. Man, penitentiary took care of me. You know what I'm saying? I'm 71 years old, man. And I went into the knee surgery like this. I didn't want to hear all that noise outside about how the surgery was going to be. I wanted this to be my own personal experience. I didn't want to hear all the noise. Man, I came out of surgery, and the lady told me, she said, man, your phone been blowing up. I go get, I get my telephone, man. I look at my telephone, man. I had 48 messages, 48 messages, text on my telephone. Wishing me best wishes and helping me get well and hope you hurry up and get well and hope you get back. And John sent me a couple of text messages. Love you, man, and all that. You know what I'm saying? I, because of the program, because of the program, I got that kind of support, man. And this is what we talk. Hope y'all not missing the message as to why we show up on a regular basis, man. We show up on a regular basis hoping that y'all transition. That's what I, I mean, that's why the homework assignment is, man. What you need to survive? And what do you need to thrive? You know? Because we had that all twisted. I needed them 48 texts. I ain't need no money. I had somewhere to stay. I was good. Man, here it is, man. I was like waiting to get back. Waiting to get back. I got a list of things, man, that we're going to talk about while I'm here, you know. But tonight, man, I understood how much I needed a program. I've been clean going on 35 years. (laughs) 
in my mind, in my mind, I'm thinking by the time I was 50 years old, I done went through everything that I could possibly go through. It wasn't nothing left out there for me. Hadn't even thought about my mother passing, you know? But from 50 to 70, man, I went through a whole bunch of stuff, man, where I needed a program. You, you hear about people that come in here, get clean, don't work a program, five years later, they're going back out using again. You know, I was one of them individuals who wanted to get clean and stay clean, you know? Hey, son, I'm at the jail <laughs> doing the program. I'm at the jail doing my program. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. With the one leg, in the leg brace. <laughs> I, uh, a chauffeur picked me up. All right. Yeah. Hey, I got here today. I had a show. Yeah. Rob called me today, man. I'm telling you, man. I'm, he called you. He, Rob called me today and said, man, look, I, I got you. He told me this last week. I got you. You know, I know you ain't supposed to be doing a whole lot, but I got you. He picked you up, you know. And, and, you know, man, this is some genuine friendship. You know what I'm saying? That I get in here. You know, try this thing, man. Try it. You know what I mean? And see what happens, you know. But uh, anyway, man, I went through all of that for the last year. I'm still standing. I still feel stronger. What didn't kill me, you know what I'm saying, make me stronger. You know what I'm saying? And, man, why are you here? Why are you here? Try to develop some kind of program for when you leave here. You know, a whole lot that you think that you need, you don't need all of that. You know? I, I, I've heard people say in order to go to a meeting, they got to have a brand new outfit. You don't need all that. I come to the meeting with what I want to wear. That's your thing, man. You come in here to get rid of some of that noise you got here, here, and here. Don't listen to all that noise. You need to hear something else. Because all that noise ain't nothing but negativity. Come in here so you can hear some positivity about what's going on, about how to live, how to stay out of jail. You know, what you need to survive, you need to stop coming here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But anyway, I'm glad to be back. I'm the hype man. My name is Marshall Tucker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm so grateful, man. I'm so grateful for y'all, you know, because it's a two-way street. I give and I receive. Thank you for being here. Hey, John, hey, John. we were late, late than yeah, never. That's right. <laughs> we were warming them up for yeah. you. My name's John. I'm an addict. Hey, John. I'm also a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorders. For me, that means I've been clean and sober since August 10th, 1982. And uh, one way I stay clean is constantly be willing to carry that message. I hope that an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose that desire to use drugs, and find a new way to live. And it's actually that new way to live. Is how you actually keep out of your mind and off of drugs. I got a great speaker going to come up here tonight and tell you a wonderful story. Uh, it's a married couple. Um, Debbie's going to introduce her husband, Gary, but me and my wife met them decades ago. They're old timers. Marshall's got 33 years, I got 40, they got 34, 33. I mean, you got 150 years right here tonight, want to share some experience, strength, and hope. You know, that, that's meaningful. That's a good hit right there. But when uh, Gary came up 
spoke at our New Year's Eve event, it, it might be 20 years ago. It seems like 20 years ago they stayed at our house. And when you're in recovery, see, Marshall hit on something when he was talking. You know, in recovery, you have resources that you, you don't dream about until you get them. Then you realize what good resources you have. You know, resources from everything. You got what's called recovery capital. You know, like some of you might have a trade. You get back in your trade. You get back in your business. That brings you financial stability. Some of you might know some people that know some people that can give you relationships, connections, and hookup. And I'm not talking drug dealing world or gang banging world. I'm actually talking the real money world out there, the community world. Some of you might, recovery capital covers every spectrum, but one piece of recovery capital you get in recovery is you get to meet people and know people and have a good quality relationship all over the world. So the message in that is, Man, they, they were close to Virginia. You know, me and Gary stayed in touch on Facebook. He, he followed my, my speaking tour around America. I've spoken in 44 different states in correctional facilities. This Thursday, I'm scheduled to speak in San Diego, so I'm, I'm going to San Diego tomorrow. But Gary said, man, I want to speak in the jail. I want to go. I don't go. Jerry loves, Gary loves jail, man. You know, he, he, I, I think he's got a little jail in his story, if I remember correctly. But... He was visiting some friends. They're on vacation. They visited friends in Asheville, North Carolina. Y'all know where Asheville, North Carolina is? That's got to be five hours from here. He said, I'd be glad to swing by to New Kent and carry a message, I hope. And me and my wife would love to have them spend the night tonight. So the man really drove four hours, five hours one way to carry that hope shot. You're getting a world-class speaker. He's from Hollywood, Florida you know, by way of Asheville to come carry that hope. So I think that, that says a lot. You people have recovery capital you don't even know you got. So think about that tonight when you go to bed. But I'm going to ask Debbie to come up and introduce her wonderful husband. And I haven't heard Gary speak in 20 years, but back then he was a really good speaker, and I expect him to, I was asking him on the way down here, anything good happened the last 20 years I need to know about? He said, I'm going to find out. He said he bought a cat. I mean... <laughs> If that's all you got in 20 years, man. My name is Debbie. I'm an addict. Hi, everybody. Hi, I already met the ladies. It's nice to see you all. Um, to be honest, John's right. There's nothing Gary and I would rather do than be here with you guys here right now. You know, we ate a lot of good food in Nashville. We saw some great waterfalls and mountains. But I know for a fact this is going to be the highlight of his trip. And, and you come in close second to the food. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. <laughs> it was good Southern cooking. <laughs> anyway, um, so we uh, um, we have like three weeks apart in our clean time. We both got clean in 1988. Uh, I drank and drugged uh, cocaine and alcohol mostly for 18 years. I loved to party. I never ever wanted to stop. I hated to hang out with people that were straight. Uh, I thought they were boring. I was raised on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was my entire life. Um, and there comes a point, and if you're sitting here, maybe it's happened to you, where the drugs turn on you. They just don't do it anymore. I could drink all night, and I could not feel like I wanted to feel. I could use all night, and all I did was wire my jaw shut. I did not get the high I liked getting. And it just stopped working for the last few years. I didn't get anything from it. I just gave everything to it. Finally, I found out about Narcotics Anonymous. I came to meetings here. Um, sometimes I thought it was worth, worse than some people. Sometimes I thought it was better than some people. Uh, the bottom line is, I did not know how to live my life. 
didn't know how to do it. You know, if I was happy, I used. If I was pissed off, I used. If something went down at work that I didn't like, I used at it, you know. Um, my husband's story couldn't be more different than mine. Like, it, I was born in Miami, so, you, you know, think about, like, Miami Vice and the Cocaine Cowboys and Party Girls, that was me. <laughs> and I'd just drag my ass to work and try to work in the morning. Um, his story's quite different. And it, if you met both of us, you would think we would never, ever have anything in common. And we really just have recovery in common. But we've been, we're going to be, we're clean in May and June. We'll be clean 35 years. And in September, we're going to be married for 34. I have never, ever had a healthy relationship. I was never faithful. I just sucked at relationships. You know, that's me and everybody I knew. That's how I was raised. I know I'm, I'm like the girl you hate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did you wrong, and I know it. Um, so I was that kind of girl, not the kind you marry and take home to mom. And if you, when you hear his story, he's not the kind of guy you marry and take home to mom. And um, somehow we found each other here in, in Narcotics Anonymous. We um, both put our own programs first. We were completely separate programs. We put our program first. God is at the very center of our program. I did a third step, which is where you turn your will and life over to the care of God. When I first got here to Narcotics Anonymous, I didn't believe anything. I didn't think I ever would believe in anything. I didn't think I wanted to. Um, but somehow I found a higher power here, and that's the center of my life. Uh, when I was partying, it was completely m a meaningless life. And then since I've come here through sponsorship, through the steps, um, I found a way of life that's really meaningful. It means a lot to me. You know, I know that I'm making a difference on the planet, and that means something to me compared to the one I used to make. So we found each other. Um, I'm just going to let him tell his story. I am married to the most awesome man on the entire planet. And for a woman to say that about a guy she's been married to for 34 years, I live with him every day. I know the life he lives. I know the man he is. Um, I married someone I respect a lot and who has character. That is not my history. I never, ever respected one of the guys I dated. So um, I'm just going to let you share, honey. Here's Gary. I got oh, you got My name's Gary. I'm an addict. Ladies, can you hear? So what I heard when other people were speaking is if you tell you how much clean time you got, you guys clap. So I got 34 years clean. Both my knees are the ones I was born with. All right, so I, I was born and raised in Salem, Massachusetts. I'm, you can probably tell by the accents. Park the car and have a yard. So you probably hear that. So when, when I was 11 years old, before I ever used drugs, my friend Leon came up to me and told me that he couldn't hang out with me no more, that his mother said I was a bad influence. And I remember thinking, I, I didn't see myself like as a bad kid. All right, I, I did lie, but I only lied because I didn't want you to know the truth. So that's the only reason I lied. And I did steal, but I only stole because I wanted something. That's, so I really didn't feel like I was a bad kid. And then drugs got in, involved. And it wasn't a huge jump from who I was 
at 11 to sticking a needle in my arm. I, I wish it was, but it wasn't. It was just, that's who I was. I was already a liar. I was a thief. I was already in the bad crowd, sticking a needle in my arm. It wasn't a big jump. So when I'm 17 years old and I'm already strung out, this older junkie, old-time junkie, I think he was like 21, he, he pulls me into, into this alcove. He grabs me. I think he's going to rip me off. That's what I think he's doing. He takes me, and I, at 17, I was like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, 135 pounds. And he picks me up off my feet, and he starts telling me all the things that's going to happen to me if I continue what I was doing, if I continue to keep using, if I continue to keep doing the stuff I was doing. He's just, and I don't remember a word that he said. In fact, I was confused that he was even telling me this. Like, I didn't understand why he was telling me that my future was going to be shit if I continued to do what I was doing. But what I remember is walking away saying, that ain't happening to me. I got this. I was selling dope. I was, um, I was 17. 17, you got it. And I had it. And whatever he told me, though I don't remember, ain't happening to me. A bunch of years later, I find myself living in an abandoned building in the Boston Combat Zone. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the Boston Combat Zone. It's not a very nice place. It wasn't a nice place. I lived in the 13th floor of an abandoned building. And I lived there with a bunch of other junkies. And there was like 10 of us. And to get into that building, there was a piece of, it's downtown Boston, a piece of plywood was on this hole. And we'd sneak in there like at 11 o'clock at night so, so nobody would see us. And we'd climb down into this hole, go into the basement, climb up 13 flights. We ran wires to the building next door. Um, we had a little TV, and we had a little, um, little furnace, and we had mattresses all over the floor. And the room was about as big as this square here. And um, we'd have to leave early in the morning so nobody would see us. So you need to picture this. Five o'clock in the morning, this piece of plywood comes off this hole. Ten junkies come out of this hole in the sidewalk. It's like junkies from the deep. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't a pretty picture. But this is what I remember most. I am laying on this mattress, and I'm thinking about my life. And I'm thinking I didn't belong there. And I didn't just become homeless. I had been homeless for six years. The first time I stood in the soup line, I was embarrassed and ashamed that me, Gary Blaze, dope dealer, I used to have a girlfriend. I used to have a place to live. I'm standing in a soup line. I'm 28 years old, I'm in the prime of my life, and I'm standing in a soup line. And this girl drives by, she's in a white convertible, she has curly blonde hair, and she has a movie camera. Back in those days, she, it was a movie camera. And so she's filming all this, us standing in the soup line, and in the soup line, it's all these bums and derelicts, and then me. 
And I put my face up against the wall because I didn't want anybody to know that I'm standing in a soup line. But I'm 28 years old. I'm in the prime of my life, and I'm going to pull my life together. Six years later, I'm in that abandoned building. I'm missing nine of my teeth. I had body lice. I got body lice in, in a homeless shelter. And what I remember most about getting body lice is that it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. Because that's what I had become. It just didn't. And this is what I did. I took two bottles of Quell. I took a shower with one. I washed my clothes with the other. I went on with my life. But I'm laying in that abandoned building thinking about it. My mother didn't bring me up to be this. This ain't who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be different than this. I could not look another human being in the eye. And I couldn't stop using. No matter how I tried a thousand things. I'm 19 years old, and this, this was my solution. And I'm going to tell you, I'm an addict all through, and my solutions to my problem, whether I'm using or I'm clean, and I, I'm coming up on 35 years, I'm still saying it today, my solutions to my problems are always worse than the problem. The stuff that comes up here for the solution ends me up worse off than the problem. So I'm 19 years old. I got a 70s habit. I don't know if we got any old-time junkies, but I got a 70s habit. My solution to the problem of being an addict was join the U.S. Army. Brilliant. Vietnam War was going on at the time. Brilliant. Anyway, so I go into basic training and I kick. I kick a 70s habit. I am doing push-ups, I am doing sit-ups, I am throwing up, I got diarrhea, I'm, I'm, I'm dope sick, and, but U.S. Army is going to make a man out of me, so I'm doing what they're telling me to do, and I'm going to get clean, and I'm going to be all right, and I'm going to get on with my life. And I'm gonna... I, I get clean. I kick in basic training. I'm a couple of weeks into basic training. I go into the company clerk's office, and the company clerk is typing. He's going, we hooked up. I used all through basic training. I didn't have any money, so I had to write home to my mother. I said, Ma, it's the volunteer army. I got to buy my own uniforms. I said, Ma, we need rifles. Ma, we need bullets. So my mother sent me money. I used all through basic training. I get kicked out of the U.S. Army. I sold the DEA an ounce of half of heroin. And um, the U.S. Army had rules against that. They didn't, they, they, they didn't tell me they had rules like that. But in case you don't know, they have rules against that. <laughs> so I did get an honorable discharge. I think they like me. Um, so I, all these, I've been through, by, when I was laying in the, on that mattress in that abandoned building, I had already gone through nine treatment centers. 
So I had tried. I had made efforts to get clean, but my life was never getting better. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So I went into my 10th treatment center, and I, I don't know if you guys know what methadone is. You guys ever heard of methadone? All right. Heroin's a baby drug compared to methadone. Heroin, you kick three or four days. I mean, it hurts, but it's three or four days. Methadone, it hurts, but it's months. In fact is, I had that dope sick smell on me for two years. Two years, people come next to me, what the fuck? <laughs> dope sick smell for two years. So I kicked. Spent night, 60 days in that treatment center. I walked out of that treatment center. I was walking down to the bus station. I ran into someone that went through the treatment center with me. Um, he had $1,200. He says, Gary, let's go to some boy and some girl. That's cocaine and heroin. And I'm like, I'm doing it this time, man. I, I'm doing it. And I walked away, and I remember feeling proud of myself that I turned down drugs for the first time. I get on a bus. An hour later, I'm walking to my sister's house. I run into this girl, Karen. She says, Gary, I got some cocaine. Eh, it's only cocaine. Ten treatment centers. Sixty days. Three hours out of a treatment center, I'm snorting cocaine. So I, I went down to Florida. And um, I went into my 11th treatment center. And for the first time in all the treatment centers, they brought in the message of Narcotics Anonymous. And um, I didn't go to the meetings because in Narcotics Anonymous, you all talk about God. And at that time in my life, I didn't believe in God because, I mean, how could there be a God with the life I was living? And I, I couldn't get clean. But I went through a treatment center. I went into a halfway house. And I, I'm going to talk about my very first year clean. Um, I stopped using the end of May of 1988. I just stopped using and but but the gentleman before me said was talking about a program I didn't have no program I just stopped using and I held on like this I don't know if any of you have had this kind of clean time where you just hold on it's one day at a time but it's actually in a it's not a day it's a minute at a time and it's and it's it's no way to live but that, that so I, I lasted about five months and my first year clean, I got clean, and you think that once you stop the drug, you could just get on with your life. I went through nine jobs. I couldn't hold a job. I never worked when I was out there, but now that I, I'm not using drugs, I couldn't hold a job. And I couldn't hold a job because of my actions. Not because, I mean, it's construction, so jobs go here and there, but um, I did, because of my actions, I couldn't hold a job. When I had about seven months um, clean, I got my first place to live. And the place to live was half of this square. It had a, um, it had a couch that was five foot long, which was my bed. It had wooden railings and I'm six foot tall and so it's either my feet hurt or my head hurt but it was short it had a velvet painting 
It wasn't mine. It, it came with the apartment. It had a velvet paint. I don't know if it was Elvis or Unicorn, but it was a velvet paint. I had uh, plastic silverware and a plastic plates. I had someone gave me a toaster, so I had a toaster, and I had a, a bathroom and a shower. That was my first place in like eight years. Two months later, the landlord comes knocking on the door and says, you got to go. He asked me to leave because I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to be. I had one life to live, and I had no clue how to do it. My first place to live, and he asked me to leave. I get a girlfriend in Narcotics Anonymous. I meet her at a dance. She tells me she needs to be with somebody responsible. <laughs> I didn't know how to do that. I, I, I never had a job. I never had a bank account. I never had, <laughs> she, she wants me to be responsible. So she went her way. I went my way. Um, The first, time, the first time I spoke at a narcotics anonymous meeting, there's a guy standing off to the side of me, and he kept raising his hand as I'm speaking. And so I called on him. I never saw that. If you've ever been to a narcotics anonymous meeting, people don't raise their hand while someone's speaking. But this guy, and he, what he says to me, he goes, you know what? It's Christmas time. I think we heard enough of that. <laughs> I get stopped. Second time I speak at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, they have a business meeting. And um, this is how the business meeting started. There's, I went to the business meeting, and there's a table, and I'm two seats over, there's a guy who says, wait a minute, wait a minute, before we start, the first thing, we need to check out these speakers, because that guy tonight, and everybody looks at me. And I said, fuck that, I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> So that's my first year in Narcotics Anonymous. And what I felt like, I felt like a loser. I could not hold a job. I could not hold an apartment. I could not hold a girl. The fellowship that I fell in love with doesn't want to hear anything I got to say. And I just felt. But I had a few things going for me. First of all, when I, I, after I left that treatment center, I went into a, um, a halfway house. And in that halfway house, they brought in the message of Narcotics Anonymous. And there was a guy that came in. I started shooting dope in the late 60s. And this guy started shooting dope in the late 50s. And his story was my story. He wasn't missing nine teeth. He was missing all his teeth. And he had moved from state to state to state, just like I had moved from state to state to state. And at the end of his story, and if, if the guy that was over there that was raising his hand was at that meeting, he would have been raising his hand told that guy to shut up too. It was a whole war story, 45 minutes of war story. And the last thing he says is, I got 14 months clean. And I was sitting there going, 14 months clean? Old time junkies don't get clean. Never heard of an old time junkie getting clean. We go to treatment, we go to church, we, but we use. And um, that's the day that the seed of narcotics was anonymous was planted. So I can't hold a job, I can't hold a girlfriend, I can't even hold a place to live, but I have the seed of narcotics anonymous in me. On December 3rd, 1988, I went to this, um, this it was called H&I Gratitude Dinner. 
And I, somebody would have to have paid for my ticket because I was still homeless. I was living on someone's couch, and I, 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 I didn't have no money because I couldn't hold a job. But I go to this banquet, and there's uh, two speakers, can't remember where they said. And then at the end of it, there was 800 people at this banquet. We get in this huge circle in a room about three times this size. And back in those days, we used to do the Lord's Prayer. And so we get in this circle, and we do the Lord's Prayer. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, something happened to me. Something glorious happened to me. My whole life, I had been searching. My whole life, I have been empty. And I felt a presence come into my body and fill me. And I started crying like this little baby. I'm 35 years old by then. I'm crying like this little baby. And I knew for a fact I never, ever had to use again. What came into my body that filled me was the spiritual principle of hope. And hope is the only spiritual principle you give to another person. You can't give nobody honesty. You guys need to get that for yourself. You can't give you courage. You can't, can't give you nothing. But we can give you hope. And they gave me hope for the very first time in my life I got hope. John. For the very first time, I got hope. And, and hope is solid. Hope is real. Hope is like this chair. Hope is like this floor. Hope is something you can get, that you can possess. And I knew that maybe someday I could hold a job. Maybe someday I could um, get a place to live. Maybe someday I could stop feeling the way I've been feeling the rest of my life. Maybe I didn't have to lose the rest of my teeth. Maybe just just maybe my life could get better. Just maybe, just maybe. Not no guarantees, but just maybe it could be different, that I could be different, that I could change, that I, 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 I could turn into a person that they didn't ask to leave. I could turn into a person that could hold a job, that maybe just, maybe it could change, you know? So my, my first year I lost it, couldn't hold a job, didn't have a place to live, was told to stop speaking, but... I got the seed, and I got hope. So I knew it could be different. And it took me a little while. I'm a slow learner. I'm a slow learner. I, I, in fact, I have a learning disability. I have ADD, ICT. For, for you with the same learning disability, that spells addict. And it, it's, it's, it's a learning disability. I have a, I have, I have a problem. I don't know how to, I didn't know how to learn how to live my own life. So in Narcotics Anonymous, in that program that, they kept, that he kept talking about, showed me a new way to live. Showed me how to be a successful person in society. You don't have to be successful, it just showed me how to be out there in the world and, and, and live a, a productive member of society. So that, that girl that, um, 
that said she needed someone to be responsible, she eventually got married. Um, we've been married for almost 34 years now. My turn. <laughs> Did you see how I put that twist on that? Did you see that? She said, that, that's one clever motherfucker. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> anyway. All right. I, I learned how to hold a job. Um, I got very successful at what I do. I'm a, I'm a, I got a job as a carpenter because I figured I could fake that. Um, and then I became really good at it. I became a master craftsman. Um, but this world is now is no longer about me. I took what I learned and, and started volunteering for Habitat for Humanity. I, I just happened to have this shirt on today. It was just by accident. But I started volunteering for Habitat for Humanity. And I, I started traveling in the United States for vacation, for my vacation. This would be my vacation. For my vacation, I would go someplace and build somebody's house. Then I got a job. I, I'm the guy. I come from Broward County in Florida. I'm the guy for 10 years, built all the houses for Habitat for Humanity in Broward County. The, the guy that was on the mattress with the body lice, through the program that they're talking about, I became... and. The, the, so, all right, so Habitat for Man is a Christian organization, and we'd be sitting at a table with all these Christians and me, and, um, and they all knew I'm a junkie. They all knew that, where I come from. They all, it's, in fact, it was, it was like legendary. Look at the homeless guy. He's the, he's the guy that's building all the houses. So it's kind of like TV kind of stuff and book signing kind of stuff. And uh, we'd sit at this table, and when anything spiritual or anything like right or wrong... I would see them looking for me for advice. And I, inside, I'm going, you don't know who the fuck I am. Anyways, and, you know, and, uh, so, so I learned how to hold a job. I learned how to ha have a marriage through that program that he's talking about. Um, I started, it took me a little while to, to, to grasp the, 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 like, the coming and speaking and stuff. Um, so I didn't, because of those two incidents, I said, I ain't never doing that again. So at about four years clean, they asked me to speak at this big thing, and I went and spoke, and nobody stopped and, and stopped me, and they didn't have a business meeting about me, and, and I felt comfortable, though my knees were shot. My, I remember standing there, my knees were like I was petrified. Um, I was asked to speak at my first banquet when I had five years clean, and I... I declined it, but I spoke at my first banquet when I had five years ago. And I, I, I became one of those people that traveled the state speaking. You know? Back at a year clean, when I felt like such a loser, and I listened to that, and I went back to use it, none of this was possible. None of this was possible. So... I have this life beyond comprehension, beyond comprehension. Um, and the program that they kept talking about is the steps. That's the steps. And, and I, I could tell you about the steps, but I'll let you guys find that out for yourself. But there are some of the things that, that I did that you could do or don't do. It's, it's up to you. Um, part of it is I had to go back through my life. 
You actually take an inventory and you go back through your life and you take all your wrongs. And when you get to the eighth step, you make a list of all those wrongs. My list was like a book. I had 34 years of just all about me. And so I, I had to go back and I had to correct that stuff. And there was a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. It was just stuff. I got involved with Habitat for Humanity because who I, who I am when I was using, I, I just sucked off society. Food stamps, welfare. I had my hand out, freely taking what anybody would give me. Um, food lines, shelters. Whoever would take care of me, I took. And I freely took besides the stealing, lying, and cheating. And so I had to give back to society. And that's how I gave back to society. I, I started volunteering for Habitat for Humanity. And so I show up on a Monday night, and I mean a Monday, and we work 14 hours um, that day. And it's um, Liberty City, it's 105 degrees out, it's hard as anything, but I'm working really hard. It's the next day, I go to work. I'm not feeling that good because they had served us Mexican food that night. And the Mexican food just, it didn't do me that good. Anyway, so I'm not feeling that good. So I, I decide to stay late. So I'm on this porch in Liberty City, building this guy's porch at 10 o'clock at night. And the ex-president of the United States came up on the porch. And, um, and he brings his secret service. So I told you I was a fugitive, right? I was still a fugitive then, so it was kind of like, it was, it was cool, but it was kind of hairy. Um, and we sit around, we talk for 45 minutes, and then he says to me, he invites me and my wife to have dinner that Friday. So that Friday, I got three years clean, me and my wife, I having dinner with this ex-president of the United States, and I'm just going, <laughs> So I, I volunteered for that organization for 27 years. So about five years ago, I'm, it's Christmas Eve. I got 100 volunteer, 150 volunteers. I'm leaning up against the wall. I'm looking at all these people doing their thing. And I said, I've done enough. I'm good. I'm good. And I just I passed it on to somebody else, let somebody else hand, um, handle it. Um, so that's how I gave back to society, besides other things. And so I became homeless because I went into my girlfriend's mother's house and stole the family silver. Not because that's who I was. It's because that's who I am. The guy sitting here will go into his girlfriend's house and steal the family silver if I'm not working the program that they kept talking about. So it's not my past. It's who I am. I'm this guy that will do that. And so I went in and stole the the family silver. I got caught because I'm a lousy thief. The girlfriend moved out. I didn't know how to live life. I became homeless. So now I'm clean. I got a couple of years clean, and I called this lady up. I said, hey, it's Gary. And she says, we were just talking about you. And I'm thinking, man, I'm talking about holding resentment. I stole that silver 10 years ago. I'm still talking about it. And the next words that came out of her mouth was, Gary, we love you. And so I asked if I could come over, and I went over there. And I, I said, I'm here to pay back the silver. And she says, don't worry about it. 
We haven't used it since you stole it. <laughs> and then I, I explained to what I was doing with my life today, that I'm trying to change my life. And I, would you, it would be a pleasure to give back the silver. It would help me in my recovery if you accepted the silver. And so I found the silver. Me and Debbie went to, to ch on, on the Charles River and we went to this old antique dealership and we found the silver. Not the exact silver, but the same kind of silver. It had the same initials on it and all that. And I bought the silver and I shined it up and I sent it to her. And what amends is, is making it the way it was before it happened. And so as soon as I stole the silver, they didn't invite me over for, for Sunday dinners no more. <laughs> they no, no more teas with the mother or nothing. But as soon as I paid back the silver, I visited her for Mother's Day, and I visited her for, for uh, holidays, and I sat and had tea with her. And one time we were uh, watching TV at one of the news shows, and they were talking about people breaking into houses. She asked me if I still did that anymore, and I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do that no more. Uh, but amends is making it the way it was before it happened. So I told you I was a fugitive. And so I went to my sponsor, and a sponsor is a guy through the steps, a guy through the program. And I went to him and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a fugitive in the state of Massachusetts. And he says, Gary, when it bothers you enough, you'll do something about it. Has anybody been a fugitive? I know that lady over there is from, from Dade County. I know her too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, so, so we have some fugitives. <laughs> so, so, we, so we have some fugitives there. It didn't bother me. I had been a fugitive for so long, it just didn't bother me. So it bothered me every once in a while. It bothered me, I was driving down Biscayne Boulevard one time, and the cops pulled me over because my taillight was out. I remember sitting in my truck going, yeah, it bothers me. I remember um, me and Debbie went to see the movie The Fugitive, and she was going like this. So it bothered me then. One night, Debbie asked me to do the dishes, and I said, not tonight, honey. She said, do them or I'll turn you in. So I remember... And one, one night she wanted to have sex, but I'm a construction worker. I'm honey, I'm tired. She said, do me, <coughs> or Bubba will be doing you. Um, so, so, so it bothered me every once in a while. It bothered me one day. I'm, I'm sitting out in front of my house in my truck, and there was a bulletin on the radio about a lady that was wanted in the state of Massachusetts for um, 23 years. And... She was living in Oregon. She had committed a bank robbery, and she was hiding. She was living on a different name. And she made a decision to turn herself in. So I made a decision to sit in my truck going, I'm going to turn myself in. So I went to a meeting. And I get to the meeting in Miami, and there's a lawyer there from the state of Massachusetts. And I went up to her and said, I want to turn myself in. What should I do? And he told me to get a stack of letters. So I get all these letters together. I send them up to Massachusetts. And... Um, the warrants started coming back. First, like, two or three came back, then five, then 10, then 12, then 14, 18. There was 25 outstanding felony warrants. I was wanting three different counties. I'm a thief. I'm not good at it. I'm a lousy thief. You guys got the same problem? There's a hint that you guys aren't good at it either. <laughs> it's the blue. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so... I was a lousy. I, I sucked at it. I was just fucking horrible. <laughs> I, I'd steal. I got caught. You know, they caught me before I stole. <laughs> That's how bad I was. Anyways, so my wife asked if that was bad. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. So 
we go up to Massachusetts. We go up there the week of Thanksgiving, and I bring a bunch of money with me because what I stole was money. And um, I go to the first case. They got all the letters. I got pictures of me with the ex-president. They like that. And um, there was 19 outstanding felony warrants. This is what happened. They said, thank you for the money. See you later. Bye. All the cases were dismissed. The probation officer patted me on the back and said, Gary, you're doing real good. Stay down in Florida. <laughs> the second case was three outstanding warrants. Same thing happened. Pay back all the money I stole. Stay down in Florida. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Case dismissed. So God is good. God is awesome. Hold it. Hold, 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 hold. I got one more case. <laughs> so you think God is good. So we go, we, we go to the next case. I think it was six. Yeah, three, three more outstanding warrants. Um, so I get there, and there's a young prosecutor. He's like 30 years old. And I meet him, and he's angry at me. I've never met the man before in my life, and he's angry at me. He's looking at my, he's looking at it, and he's, he can't figure it out. He can't figure out why the other cases are being dismissed. He, he just he can't figure it out. And so he wants to go talk with my lawyer. And I asked my lawyer, he said, you want me to go in there with you? My lawyer says, no. And I said, why? Because I'll be honest. And my lawyer goes, yeah. My lawyer didn't want me to be honest. And in a Cox Anonymous, the number one principle is honesty. So I, my lawyer didn't want me to be honest. I put my will into the lawyer. The lawyer goes, speaks to the prosecutor. The prosecutor comes out. He says, Gary, tell me what happened. I told him the truth. I told him what I stole, when I stole it, how I stole it, why I stole it, and the amount you think I stole, it's actually twice that amount. The prosecutor goes into the, into the case. Me and my wife, I got my court suit on. My wife's got a court dress on. The prosecutor gets up, and he starts telling the judge, he goes, Your Honor, Gary did this, and he did this, and me and my wife are looking at each other going, This is bad. This is bad. And then in the middle of the prosecutor's speech, his voice got soft. And he starts telling the judge all the good things I've been doing in my life. The prosecutor went to bat for me. The guy that was angry at me because I told him the truth. I guess that's important. <laughs> I guess the truth is important. So I get a year's probation. I don't have to see nobody. I don't have to write nobody. I don't have to call nobody. I have to... I've been in trouble with the law since 1971. And I get off probation, and I'm a free man. I got <clears throat> nothing hanging on me. Nothing. Those are simple amends. Those are simple. I'm out there using... <clears throat> And I'm, <clears throat> I, met, <clears throat> I met this... Can I get some water? Water. <clears throat> I don't care. This is how you get hurt. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> when, I, <clears throat> when I was out there, I met this girl, Darlene. And she was an addict, but she wasn't like me. She had a house. She had a, a five-year-old daughter. She had a dog in the yard. She did perky dance, shot dope every once in a while. 
and I'm a homeless <clears throat> dope shooter. And um, we hook up. And within a very short time, Darlene loses her five-year-old daughter solely because of our actions. She loses the place that we were living at, she, and she became homeless with me. And we lived on <clears throat> cardboard boxes, and we lived on student shoot, um, soup lines and shelters. And sometimes for money, Darlene would stand on a corner and sell her body, and I would stand on the other corner and, and reap the benefits of what she was doing. Um, and the, <clears throat> the last time I saw Darlene, she was passed out in an alleyway. And I was going to a homeless shelter, and I wanted to help her, but I, I, I couldn't help her, so I just kept on walking. <clears throat> and it, <clears throat> anyways, I, I get clean. I got two years clean, I'm married to Debbie. My life's getting good. I'm in St. Martin at my timeshare. I have a gold American Express card in my wallet, and life is sweet. And I get a letter that Darlene died, and she died from the AIDS virus. And she died from what we were doing a long time ago. Um, and I remember laying on this lawn chair in St. Martin crying and asking God why. And not, not why that she was dead, but why was I alive? You've, <clears throat> you've heard my story. Why was I alive? And um, I had to make amends for that. How do you make amends for that? I had ripped off her mother for $1,564, and I had to pay that money back. So I, I go to this lady's house, and I keep making these, these visits to the Darlene's mother's house, and it isn't working out. Um, she's not there, but I kept, I kept leaving like a couple hundred dollar checks in her mailbox. And one time I go there, and, and the mother's there, and it was November, and it was cold, and I, I knocked on her window. She was already in her car. And she rolled down her window, and she says, we were just talking about you. And, um, and then she said, Darlene loved you so much. And I remember I was standing there crying like this little baby. And um, she said she had to go to work, but that she, I could come back tomorrow. So the next day I went there, and we sat on a couch. We talked about her daughter. And she held me, and she, she rubbed my back, and she said it was okay. As long as her and her husband were alive, I could come and visit her. So I, I would come and visit her once a year, bring her Mother's Day flowers and visit her for Christmas and stuff. And, and one year I asked if I could go to the, the grave site. And so one of the sisters bring me and Debbie to the grave site. And we get there, and Darlene didn't have a tombstone. But when I knew her daughter was five, now her daughter was um, 17, her daughter took a rock about this big, and she painted the whole rock white. And she hand-printed Darlene's name on it. And next to the rock was this little picture of the 17-year-old daughter and this little cup of flowers. And I remember looking at this rock, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get Darlene a tombstone. But the rock and the picture and the flowers was perfect. It was beautiful, and it was perfect. And then <clears throat> next to Darlene's grave is another grave. Darlene had a son. And at the age of four and a half, died from the virus. Died from what we were doing a long, long time ago, before the little boy was even born. And his grave ain't perfect. 
His grave's never going to be perfect. So there is stuff that I've done in the past that is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. When I talk about this, it rips me the fuck apart. Because that's who I am. I'm a guy that would stand, have his girlfriend stand on a corner and sell her body, even when that disease was rampant. But I tell you guys, I, I can still... It's one of, it's one of the main reasons I'm, I'm sitting here right now, here today, to tell you guys that no matter what went down in your lives, no matter what you guys did, there is still hope. There's still a way to change, and there's still a way to live a productive, uh, be a productive member of society. So I want to talk about some of my sponsees because it's always about the message. You know, John was wrong. It wasn't like four. I, Six-hour ride here. Oh, we did stop for a piece of chicken, but it was a six-hour ride here. To tell you guys that there's a different way to live. That there's, that through this program, Narcotics Anonymous, I found a, a way to live, you know, and stay clean. I haven't even thought about using for fucking decades. It's been a long time. It's not my first thought. My life's going bad, I'm going to go use. My life's going good, I'm going it's not even there anymore. But I want to tell you most of my... My first sponsee, I got about, about a year clean. So I'm, I'm bringing the message into a homeless shelter. I'm doing what these guys are doing, but except it was a homeless shelter. And I meet this guy. Uh, his name is Mike, Mikey, but his street name was Filthy McNasty. He was this black guy. He had a scar from here to here where someone had tried to cut his throat open. He had another scar from here to here where someone had try to embed an axe in his head. His eye, one of his eyes was just a little off, and um, he would talk in whispers. And me and him became running partners. we become N.A. running partners. And we were carrying the message into the dirtiest, funkiest places. We would just go into the homeless shelters. and, and uh, So one time we were carrying the message in this homeless shelter, and his running partner from the streets comes in. His name was Bouffelet. And uh, Bouffelet's real name was Booker T. And so Booker T comes in, I'll describe him. He was about 5 foot 11, he weighed 120 pounds, he had a piece of rope for a belt, um, his eyes were real big, and he had been a street person for five years. He had been living on the streets of, of Miami for five years. So he comes in, we, we do our presentation just like we're doing here, and then Booker T says he wanted to talk to us. He says, you guys ought to be ashamed of yourselves telling them you're clean. Because you know you can't get clean. <laughs> you know? And so Booker T went to jail. He, uh, he comes out of jail. He's now 195 pounds. He's got arms like this. And he, he walks out of jail. He uses. He comes back to the meet. Me and Mike are still sitting there. 16 months later, me and Mike are still carrying the message at the same homeless shelter. And Booker T comes in, he sees us there, he sits down, he listens. He had stayed clean the whole time. He, since then, he had been clean. So Booker T became my, my favorite sponsee. You're not supposed to have favorites, but he, he's my favorite. All right, won't let this leave here, okay? We're going to keep this our secret. He's my favorite sponsee. So me and him would travel, just passing the message, going to, doing Habitat, doing all kinds of stuff. I was the best man at his wedding. It was all black wedding. 
with the white guy next to him. <laughs> and uh, I was the best man at his wedding. And so me and him, um, we went up to Al Selma, Alabama. You guys heard Selma, Alabama? Anyways, we go up there. What happened is like 60 years ago, Martin Luther King was crossing this bridge, and they, they, the National Guard stopped him and all that. So they, I get this letter asking me to come up there to help them heal the wounds of, of now it's 60 years ago. And so me and Booker T go up there, and they put us up in the state troopers barracks, and I got a three-page grown record. Booker T has a 10-page grown record, and we're like hanging out with the state troopers. Kind of cool. Um, and then on Tuesday, there was an article in the, the, the Selma Ledger about me and Booker T, about these two guys that had come to Selma to help, help heal the wounds of 60 years ago. On Thursday, the mayor of the city invites us to City Hall and gives me and Booker T the key to the city. And me and him are like, <laughs> two homeless junkies. Can't even keep teeth in our own face, and he gives us the keys. So we're driving back from Selma, Alabama. We are high. We are God high, doing God's work. And um, we come back. I drop Booker T off at his house. I go on my way, and then he keeps calling me. Booker T keeps calling me, and I needed a Booker T detox. I just needed a little time for myself, so I don't answer him right away. But then I do answer him, and he tells me his wife's missing. His wife of nine years, who has been clean for nine years, is out using. He loved her. He kept saying, Gary, I love her so much. And my, my job as a sponsor is just to guide him. And um, I try to guide him. But they lost everything. They lost the, the cars, the house, everything. And after a while, Booker T's, he said his shoulder hurt. And then his, his hand went like this, and it just stayed there like this, and he couldn't, he, he couldn't move his arm, it was just stuck like that, and he walked like that. And I, I would bring him to doctors and hospitals, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. And then his leg got real weak, and he, he, he had to use a cane. And so he walked with a cane, and his arm was like that, and it was locked like that. And, I kept bringing him to doctors and for about like six months, and we couldn't find out what was wrong. Then he was diagnosed with ALS. He got uh, Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease. His wife's out using, and who's taking care of him is me and Debbie and my sponsees and, and friends, and we're doing the best we can, but we didn't. He ends up in the hospital, and, and <clears throat> then he ends up in hospice. And so we... we I'd go and visit him, and I, I get there on Monday night, and his family that really hasn't seen him in a long time is there, and there's church people there, and they're saving him, and, they're, and I'm just standing in the corner going, he's already been saved. Now, Clarkson and I must save this man already. Anyways, so I, 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 I stay there at the hospice with him, and it's me, his daughter, and his two sons, and at about 2 o'clock in the morning... Booker T's breathing stops. And I get up and I, I, I close his eyes and I, I put my hand on his heart and I feel his heart. And I thank God for the years that that man was in my life. And then they had a funeral. When I die, I am having a black funeral because... <laughs> They know how to have a funeral. I'm telling you, there were singers, there were dancers, there was 
there was people wailing, there was fanners, and I'm like, I want a black funeral. Give me a black Anyway. But before the funeral, there was a wake. And um, it was an Ecarx Anonymous wake. There was like, like 50 people there. And in comes Booker T's wife. She's still using. And she's got that look on her. The using look. And she's like, and she stands over Booker T with nothing. There's nothing there. She's just staring at her husband of like probably 11 years now. She just, and there's nothing. And everybody in the Coxnarmus ain't going near her. Because they know that she wasn't there when Booker T needed her. And needed him, needed her. So I go up and I hug her. And I remind her of the rooms in the Coxnarmus that it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter where you came from. We're here to help you. It doesn't matter that your husband's laying there and that you weren't there. We're here to help you. And um, a couple of years go by, and she's still out there. And one day I go to an Eckhart's Anonymous meeting, and I'm sitting there, and she comes walking up to me. And she says, Gary, do you hate me? And I loved her as much as Booker T loved her. She had a couple of months clean. I went to the World Convention in, in, of Nakarx Anonymous in Orlando, and I ran into her. She had 10 years clean. She probably now she's got like 15 years clean. And that's the message of Nakarx Anonymous, that it doesn't matter. The past don't matter. It's what we want to do today and what we're going to do tomorrow that matters. And I, I can't tell you how blessed I feel. I have spoken at the World Convention of Nakarx. I have spoken with... Five, ten thousand people in front of me. This is the best. This is better than any of that. And thanks for, for letting me be here today. show their emotions and um, the fact that you sat here and you, you know, showed your emotions, you told your story, you even shared a tear, gave me a lot of hope and a different perspective and I hope that men received it. It's all right to be sad, it's all right to be in touch with y'all feelings, it's all right to, you know, express yourself with tears. Like, I know a lot of y'all was listening, 
But without hearing them though, I receive your message of hope and I hope everybody else did too. And it's not a sign of weakness. Right? Hey, let me ask a question. I'm, a, I'm asking. <laughs> All right. Now, you female, is this the kind of man you'd be looking for? Somebody could be in touch with their feelings and whatnot? By show of hands? Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. That was a good hit. All right, look. What else we got? Yes, sir. Marshall. Oh, okay. Now Marshall can't uh, run but so yeah. fast. Uh, let, 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 me, let me tell you what I heard. Now don't get what stupid on the question. Hey, let me tell you what I understand. I understand that the best way to communicate is through thoughts and feelings. You know what I'm saying? Before thoughts and feelings, it was behavior. You know, you can look at me with an angry face and tell me that you happy, but your behavior don't match what you're saying. So to communicate, all of that stuff has to match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I love that hit. Behavior got to match. Hey, my name is Montague. Hey, Montague. Yeah, I, um, I just wanted to say, man, on behalf of the RISE program, we appreciate you taking the time out. We can see your message was painful. We appreciate you coming six hours to come here and speak with us. Yeah. I also wanted to say, man, because an addict like me, I know I got a, a problem, man, and I'm going to be leaving here soon. See, my addiction waits for me, man. The whole time I've been here, I haven't been thinking about getting high. But now that I know I got like 15 days, those cravings are coming back, the dreams, the stomach pains, and all kinds of thoughts of what I'm going to do when I get out. I just want to know, how long did your cravings last, man, and how did you fight them all? How long were the cravings in the beginning? Yeah, it, it was, yeah, for a little while. It wasn't that long. Because I came to believe after when I told you I came to believe it, it's a few months later. Yeah. Now, I, 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 my first two, three years, it was like I, I knew if I used it, it was going to be jails, institutions, and death. So because of that fact, I kept waiting for when is the recovery high going to come? Because we know the drug high ain't going to be but so good. But it took me a couple few years. Then the recovery high became better than the drug get high. So... You just got to hold on, surround, you can surround yourself with people in recovery. You hear this? You know, you, you can, you can change your people, places, and things, man. That, you put yourself in position, your mind will follow sooner or later, but if your body can get in recovery, the mind will follow. Hey, uh, what I said earlier about the majority of us, all of us have uh, this noise outside. And a lot of times, if you're not getting anything good, you're going to listen to the noise outside. And, and you need to understand that doubt, doubt has been around ever since the existence of man. You're going to have periods of doubt. And the antidote for that, like John was saying earlier, is to be around somebody that don't give you some positive that will give you some good noise, that will give you some healthy noise. You, you ain't gonna get that on the corner. You may not get it at home. I'll go give somewhere, you, go I, somewhere that you can get it. I'll give you another hit. Richmond, Virginia is number six in the country for recovering community. 
If you can't find recovery community here in Richmond, you, 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 you're going to struggle. But we, we got community connection here. You're going to be who you hang around with. Whoever you go to when you leave here is who you're going to be. That's what you're going to be. If you go back, if you, if you go back to active addiction ways, you're going to get active addiction results. You go chase recovery circles, you're going to get recovery results. I mean, it's math at this point. You know, you know what happens. But, I, I mean, look, man, I got clean in the Marine Corps. I had to go back to my barracks and 85 Marines in my barracks smoking weed, drinking liquor, dropping acid. And I had to go to the front of the barracks and say, man, you got to keep that shit away from me. My freedom is at stake. My life is at stake. So it, it ain't easy, but it's worth it. How about that? It ain't easy, but it's worth it. Drug use, as Gary used to say, is a shit sandwich. Recovery is a Twinkie. Go for the Twinkie, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Hello. Hello. Um, my name is Dave Bleeze. And um, after hearing him today, maybe made me want to be stronger to show my emotions. Because women take advantage of me when I show my emotions. And I just look for somebody to, to understand my emotions. Y'all got to behave now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and somebody will refer you to a good relationship therapist. <laughs> you know, right when you think you've seen everything. <laughs> All right, this is going to be our last question. Make it a good one. Good one. My question is for, for the couple. The oh, couple. Yeah, because they always tell us, I got, I got a female in recovery too. I got a girl that's in recovery too. And they always tell us, don't start with new relationships. But um, you, you seem to have the, the, the key to the safe as far as what it takes to make it when, you know, when both of y'all are trying to do the right thing in recovery. Look, it's so, couples like that that ruin it for everybody that says don't get in a relationship. Yeah. Right? I, mean. so, I would like to, I would like to know some advice that that, that you use that, that helps you. Oh, come here. David, when, how do um, you stay married? How do you stay happy? When, when Debbie stood up there for a little while and she talked about that I work my program and she works her program, and then we we, we have we have God. Her understanding of God could be different than my understanding. In fact, I don't think we ever had that discussion. We just believe in God. And um, we bring that into our relationship. There you go. Say, what I used to do in relationships all the time, about six months and then the shine would wear off and it'd be everything that's wrong with them. All my life, I looked at everything that was wrong with them. In this, what I looked at, I picked a man I respect to begin with, and then I focused on everything that was right about him. And I stopped that. His defects are between him and God. I got nothing. In, my sponsor told me, when I've taken care of all my defects and I have no defects, then I get to work on his. <laughs> That's yeah. yet to happen. It ain't going to happen. You know, my wife... My wife got 25 years clean, and 
her program, I don't know if I could stay clean working her program. She can't stay clean working mine, but you get your own program, that, that, you, you'll be way ahead of the curve. Hey, y'all were great tonight. Thank you so much. We'll be back in two weeks. Get excited. Yeah. Y'all got a homework assignment. Y'all got a